cliffcentral.com. Yes, indeed. We have a slew of new and interesting podcasts for you. If you don't like this show, I don't know why you're listening if you don't like this show, but there's lots of other stuff for you to listen to. <laughs> so you can go and have a look and uh, see if there's something that um, that you like. There's something that would, uh, would, would fill the gap in your podcast playlist. I know I've got a playlist from here to eternity going on at the moment. There's so much I have to catch up on. I walk around my house during the day and even while I'm working, as long as it's not stuff I have to concentrate on, and I just have a podcast playing the whole time. If if you saw me, you would know for sure that I'm not a bullshitter when it comes to believing in podcasts. I've been listening to these these things for, what, 10, 15 years now, nonstop, and it's part of my life. It's something I absolutely love doing and if you haven't got a podcast uh, you know list that's going on yet maybe you'll find the things that you're looking for on cliffcentral.com go and take a look and tell us what you think also uh, obviously spread it around give it the likes give it the shares all that stuff that we need to spread it around to other people because there are still people in the world i know it sounds ridiculous but there are still people in the world who do not know about podcasting i bumped into one or two of them yesterday it's frightening it's like uh, meeting someone from the 1800s it's um, it's absolutely bizarre. So it is time for the burning platform. Now this morning we have a return champion, someone who is uh, regularly featured in newspapers. He writes opinion pieces for everybody when they ask him to, but he's uh, he's got opinions that he only shares with us, and I'm thrilled to have him back. Muzi Kuzwayo, his career started in advertising. Uh, today he's the co-founder of South Africa's Promise, which I mentioned to you earlier. I did a a longer interview with Muzi about South Africa's Promise, the book which he has written, which is available online for free. Um, it is a non-profit organization. The mission is to help fulfill South Africa's constitutional promise, promise rather, of freeing up the potential of each and every person. Muzi was a newspaper columnist for over 20 years. He wrote for various major South African newspapers, including the Sunday Times, City Press, and The Star. He continues to do that. He's also a former visiting professor at the University of Cape Town's Graduate School of Business, where he taught marketing through the paradigm of systems thinking. He's written several books and spoken to thousands of people in various forums, and that is why he believes South Africa is destined for greatness. So it is always good to see you. Let me welcome back uh, Pumi Mashiho, as always, for the Burning Platform. But today also, Muzi Kuzwayo. How are you, Muzi? I'm well, thanks to you, Gareth. How are you? Good. It's nice to see you, and thank you for being on the show again. I hope we're not abusing uh, abusing your, your willingness to come and join us, but it's uh, there's so much to talk no, about. No, the least. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so so Muzi, there's lots of uh, stuff in the news that we'll get to in a moment or two. But just from the outset, because you seem to be one of the uh, the wise elders in South Africa when it comes to trying to understand our place in the world. Geopolitics is such a mess at the moment. Um, we've got China and Russia, which I know are both subjects that you are very much conversant on and in. Um, China and Russia. We've got America. We've got this issue with the Ukraine at the moment. Are we seeing an east-west separation, and are we seeing the potential for much more conflict, or are we seeing that died down slightly? Because I'm hearing reports that Russia may have miscalculated um, on their side how, how effective their military may have been against the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians have fought very hard and very bravely. And I think many people are starting to look at this and going, well, is it going to go anywhere? Is it going to get worse, as predicted? Or is it actually going to just fizzle out? What's your take on, on the Ukraine situation, which is the big geopolitical question at the moment? Yes. 
Gareth, you know, I'm really interested in the evolution of things uh, and how things change, how great powers gain their power or lose their power and lose their power, in fact, over time. So if we look at things, I mean, the war's only been five or six weeks old. If we only look at that, we will not understand the greater forces um, that are shaping the world. One of the books, so uh, because I love the evolution of things, I mean, I've looked at how it evolution of cameras, the evolution of photography, mm. and what impact it's got in the liberation of slaves. Uh, and so when we look at the Ukraine, the, the Russia-Ukraine war, just what, what is happening now, we are likely to lose the big picture. So it's not the first time that Russia has been to war, or at least Putin has been to war. He went to war in, in Georgia in 2008, and again in Ukraine in 2014, annexed, um, uh, Crimea. Yeah. So we don't know what his objective is because by war, by, by nature, as Carl von Klasse is writing his book on strategy, on war rather, which is strategy on war, the objectives are always kept in. We can only deduce. And he says actually, if that's what, because of the nature of war, you've got to get your best brains trying to analyze what is, what the adversary is trying to do. So, I saw one analyst asking, what if Putin is achieving his objectives? What, is his, what if his objective is just to ruin uh, Kyiv or Ukraine to scare any other country and not to take the land because that will be difficult. That will be taking him back to Afghanistan. He did not hold Georgia in, mm -hmm. in 2008. He did not hold uh, Ukraine again. He just annexed Crimea. And Donbas um, is... It's probably a proxy, not against Ukraine, per se, but against the United States. But what is happening in the greater geopolitical space is that when you look at the evolution of things, how great powers look, lose their power, I think the West, or America in particular, is losing its grip in the same way they, that Great Britain lost its grip in 1957, you could argue, mm -hmm. or some in 1980, it was in 1980, when the flag came down for the last time in, in what was then Rhodesia, uh, because Hong Kong was, the agreement had been done 50 years earlier. <clears throat> right. So, and, and why we say this, it's because America pulled out of Afghanistan, pretty much like they pulled out of Vietnam, running, one. Yeah. So, what is happening now in the Middle East, for instance, is that the Arab countries no longer trust America to be their protector. In the same way, for instance, uh, they're learning what uh, Lesotho learned, that you could, they could no longer get Great Britain to be their protector. Remember, Lesotho was a protectorate of Great Britain. So those things happen from time to time. Um, they see what's happened in Libya. And what are the Arab countries doing now? They're going to Israel to be their protector, as it were, because they don't have the armies of people. Right. And Israel is the leader in technology. Right. So Israel now becomes the de facto defender of the Arab countries. Isn't that ironic? I mean, the, it, it's so ironic that America for years has been trying to be the, 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 the peacemaker and the, and the, you know, the, the, the facilitator for Middle East peace. And all they had to do maybe was get out of the way. <laughs> Well, it's time, Gareth. You know, um, um, it, it, because of evolution of things, you have to, I, I, I thought I had to understand the forces, the elements that cause the acceleration and deceleration of progress. So 
these are countries that don't have the most ferocious armies. What do they depend on? Depend on? They depend on. So they need drones. So look at what happened recently in Ethiopia, the Ethiopian war. Uh, the Tigray forces were, were about 100 kilometers from, from taking Addis Ababa. Uh, Mohamed Abe went to, to Turkey, got <laughs> drones, and they were able to push them back. So uh, Saudi Arabia is struggling to, to take over Yemen or to pacify Yemen. Who's got the technology to do that kind of thing? It's Israel. Mm -hmm. So the world is changing rapidly. And, and, and having grown up during apartheid and the change of apartheid, I remember full well when the African National Congress had to change from being supported by the Communist Party to having great relationships with the United States of America. So it happens. You know, America replaced Great Britain. Somebody else is going to replace uh, America. That's just how it goes. So who's, who's that? Is that China? Um, you see, China does do not have an expansion, or at least um, we're going to re, uh, revoke, evoke Conclusivates uh, um, here. Mm -hmm. China have said they, they have a peaceful, ex, they don't have an expansionist philosophy, one, but they want to grow peacefully, unlike America. But we don't know what their true intentions are. Yeah. But we must also remember that China has been a trading nation for centuries. They made the first huge investment in Africa when uh, Ian Smith declared the, the, you know, the UDI, Unilateral Declaration of Independence, and kept the trains in, the, on, in, in Rhodesia, on the Rhodesia side, and Zambia had no connection to the sea. It was Mao Zedong who put a $2 billion train. It's still there called Tazara, the Tazara Line. So they've always done that in various countries. Um, will they be the next superpower? They may will become the de facto superpower because everybody else has fallen, as it were. Right. So I, I hate to go from like these big, um, heavy and, and, and meaningful conversations of gravitas to things that are, that are much more, they, they seem a little more stupid. But we do have you know, our own place in the world. And, and I often think about South Africa, especially now that I've done a little bit more traveling again for the first time in two years. I think of our place in the world and I think about how we always consider ourselves to be the very worst. You know, South Africans have this attitude of like South Africa is this embarrassing backwater and we don't really have much to give the world. And we squandered all of our, our, our moral capital after 1994 and things are just terrible and there's nothing to celebrate. And we look at the unemployment rate and stuff that is, that is a genuine issue, but we're really hard on ourselves. And as Pumi and I were discussing at the start of the show today, we tend to complain more than anyone else. But we would be outside of all these massive maneuvers, and maybe that's a very advantageous place to be. We've got to sort out our own backyard, obviously, but I don't think that South Africa is necessarily positioned terribly badly if the world is going to change as fast as you say it is, and as we can observe it is. What do, you, what do you feel about South Africa's place in this new world? You know, like everything, there's an opportunity, you know, and the opposite of opportunity, obviously, is the complete loss of, of that opportunity. Mm. We are losing our best brains. We shouldn't fool ourselves. Um, this afternoon, I'm meeting a guy who's leaving the country, young black guy I've known, well, young guy that I've known for years, you know, uh, he was five years old. He's, going, he's moving to Japan. Uh, on Monday, somebody else left. And on the show, Pumi was, was interviewing Kaya Stoller, 
And he said that about 120 black CAs who left the country, who live in London. So we do have a problem. And we've got to do something about it. We've got to change things right now and immediately. Complaining is good. You know, uh, there are two things. I think we've also inherited what Churchill says in, in his book, uh, My African Journey. Mm-hmm. He says, white men in, in Africa, they just love to complain. They complain about phones. They complain about the sun. They complain about everything. <laughs> it's in our nature, right? <laughs> he, says they complain, the one, he talks to this one guy who's complaining. The bureaucrats haven't given me papers for my farm and all of that kind of things. He says, you know, the Scots don't complain on the other hand of other end of the world, and they're really poor, you know? Yeah. But we've got to change things. And what is lacking in this generation, and what is likely to make us lose the opportunity, is this generation, Gen Z, and everybody else who's, who's alive around, is they lack what the greatest generation had. We are beneficiaries of the greatest generation, men like Nelson Mandela, the guys who were born in Tom. Uh, uh, Braco talked about the greatest generation as the people who were influenced and who also fought in this, who were influenced by the First World War, Second World War, and understood the importance of sacrifice. This generation gets everything. We are beneficiaries of the guys who were influenced. Our freedom is a result of the people who went to war in Second World War in Europe and came Mm -hmm. back and accelerated the freedom that we have. Difficult as it was. And what are we doing? This generation, unfortunately, is looking at getting everything for self. We live in the world of, in in the era of the selfie, that everything should be for me. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you doing for me as opposed to what am I doing for society and for the future? And that difference, that's, you talk about small things and big things. Actually, you know, that old saying, Gareth, that says the butterfly that flaps in wing, its wings in Durban will end up will, will lead to a hurricane in, in, in Florida. So it's the small things that make the big the big things. If everybody is more concerned about themselves, we're going to sink into the abyss of history and never be the people who are going to have a better future and play a greater and better role in um, in, the, in the future. And Gareth, without taking it too long. We're not the first people to be colonized. We should stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Yeah. You know, uh, in the birth of Britain, also by, by Churchill, when it tells you the 400 years of colonization by the Romans mm. and the chaos that follows after the, libera- the liberation, as it were, but they still went on to be the greatest empire in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe in, in empires or us being an empire, but the fact that we've been through the fire gives us the opportunity to be better people and create a better nation. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, people always think that that Europe was this uh, was, was this uh, this ascendant power throughout history, and it really wasn't. I mean, the Ottoman Empire, for 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 a large part of what the West called the Dark Age, was the only place that was a repository of knowledge, scientific and and mathematic. Mathematical development, uh, philosophy. If it weren't for the Ottoman Empire and for Baghdad and Cairo, frankly, we may not have inherited, 
any of that wisdom of the of the ancient world. There were also huge developments going on in the Far East, in China, in Japan. There were advanced civilizations in, in Mesoamerica. I, I spent a bit of time there now, and it was interesting for me to hear about slavery that occurred there long before the white man came. And, you know, this idea that, that any of the suffering of humankind belongs only to one group of us is ridiculous. And we've got to, we've also in South Africa got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and realize that it's up to us. This is why I love what you're doing with South Africa's promise. And we'll maybe have some more time a little later to delve into that, but it is the burning platform. So we've got some practical stuff to deal with today. So Pumi, where do we want to start today? Cause there's a lot to talk about. You mentioned Batabile Lamini earlier. Do you want to just maybe start there? Cause it's an easy one to tick off the list. No, I, look, I think that they are, uh lots of different things, but they all boil down to one thing. And and I think when you say we're unwilling to sacrifice is what we see in our political sphere. You know, mm-hmm. we see a lot of politicians all about self. They, mm-hmm. You know, we see our governing party is mm-hmm. all about self. <laughs> so that that was a, a very interesting kind of way of looking at all of the various things. So Batamile Lamini is very interested in keeping herself out of jail and not really want, worried about the bigger party that she represents and what her fight, her little personal fight, what damage it does to the bigger party. If we think about our president, and he's said on many occasions that he is the president of the ANC before the president of the country. Again, is looking at the small self-interest right. and keeping himself in that job and not really worrying about the bigger job of the country. And, you know, I, I think even as you go across the board, when you look at what's happening at the DA, you know, and their own internal little fights, if you look at what's happening at Action SA with their little internal fights, they're all reflective of that selfie generation. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, Lizzie? You see, it's um, it's it's a, it's it's dying organizations. That's what is it. The, the problem is that, I mean, the, it's in the name, isn't it? African National Congress set up to fight colonialism and and apartheid later when in the later years. Those things are now gone. So the reason for existence is basically being wiped away. That's what has happened. And now they're battling with trying to keep on living in an era that no longer is no longer right for them. It's like bacteria that are anaerobic bacteria, bacteria that live in a non-oxygen world, trying to evolve very quickly and live in a world where everybody lives on oxygen. So that is actually what is happening. It's the end of an era. And if you look at history and the evolution of things, um, it's it's exactly that. It's it's in so many things things that we see, cameras, um, the camera business trying to survive in the world where everybody has got a camera and a cell phone without having to le- learn photography. Mm-hmm. So, and and trying to hold on to those parties will not help us pr- uh, go forward. It's 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 anti progress. It's the opposite of progress. Well, this- what we now need are new parties that are, are not based on black versus white, um, or this one against that, but understanding that progress, a very good example of progress is in an aeroplane. Whether you're sitting on the left or on the right, on the right seats does not matter. We all have to behave accordingly for the journey to be safe. And we're gonna go through storms, we're gonna go through a lot of things. So the politics as we knew it, 
of, I mean, nations with, I mean, even Europe, they, were, they had no nations, but tribes that came together to fight the Romans, that fought yeah. in England, to fight the Germans, the Saxons, and all of those things. When all, when the conflicts are gone, the people whose only job was to have conflict, was to keep the conflict going or to win, then they don't know how to behave in a peaceful world. Well, there's this. There's this far more peaceful today than it was back, back then. Absolutely. Uh, there's this brilliant article that I remember reading years ago called St. George the Dragon Slayer in Retirement Syndrome. And it's basically oh, about, wow. <laughs> it's basically about how, you know, the, the legend goes that St. George slays the dragon and then he finds himself with nothing to do. So he keeps slaying ever smaller and smaller dragons until he can eventually mm. use like a kebab skewer. To, to get the last one. And they're so, the, the dragons are so small eventually that it makes a, him seem ridiculous. And it's kind of like that with a lot of these organizations. Not just the ANC, but even the opposition parties whose whole purpose is to be opposed to the ANC. That's not a real purpose anymore. They need to have more on their plate. And maybe it's time for them to die. You know, Muzi, you very, you very much upset um, Lebang when you were on our show and you said, that the old voters in South Africa, that the, the people over a certain age who are going to the polls and still voting in certain ways, that those people need to die for us to move on. And I remember she was horrified. She was horrified by this. But we, you know, in order for evolution, which is a word you've used a couple of times today, to actually start to make a difference, evolution doesn't occur while you're alive. It occurs when the next generation is born. Absolutely. You know, I think humans have got this obsession with living forever. But there was time in history, in natural history, where we did not exist. Yeah. You know? Yes. And the, there will come a time where we're gone as well. I mean, the dinosaurs, I'm sure, would have loved to live. But what you've got to try and be as comfortable for as many, for many people as is possible. I got a guy yesterday, uh, Freddy Subawana, giving me, he drew, he drew up a plan for the uh, development of his, um, of his village. People who are over 50, in, over 60 yeah, in his village make only 5% of the village. So that's it's the nature of things. We are going to die. And the people, I mean, all the people who love, all the Rebonia tribalists are now gone. That's just nature. That's how life is. But you know, Gareth, what is also important is we need to, live, to uplift the standard of people. And what has happened? Um, Curtis Mayfield said, we people who are darker than blue, <laughs> meaning black people. <laughs> when our leaders do not deliver what they're supposed to deliver as leaders, they blame the others. It's the white man's fault, white monopoly capital. White monopoly capital, but you've got the keys. But because a lot of the guys who are either leaders, CEOs, were raised in captivity. Mm-hmm. You know, like you lead a lion, you let a lion take a lion that was raised in the zoo and you try and take it back to the, to the wild, it's going to be dead in two weeks from starvation or from being taken out by other lions. They have not learned or thought of how can we make life better for our children. I always I said to one guy, you know, I was really upset and I'm, I'm really sorry I, 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 that I said that. I said to him, you know, I think to you white people are a ghost. You see them even where they don't exist. You are in trouble because of your actions, but you think somebody else with some powers greater than yours has put you in this. So it's the way we think. 
And what we need to do is, and particularly the younger generation, is to start making those sacrifices. To find, and sacrifice meaning, sacrificing means leaving the things that are dear to you. Like when you're at the top of, a, of, 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 of your career in, on radio, on the hill, you go and do the crazy things, you step down from the mountain, back to the, to, to the fields and plant something that is new called podcasting, and everybody thinks you're crazy, and advertisers don't want to come to you because they think this, this has got no future, and then the world suddenly changes. And nobody remembers the sacrifices that were made to that, and the beatings, the personal beating, and asking yourself, am I crazy? Is this the right thing to do? Now, I'm appealing to a lot of other people who are in great corporate positions to say, guys, you're doing exceptionally well now, but this is the time to make sacrifice. You are making no sacrifice if you're at the bottom of the, of the, of, of the valley anyway. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? There's yeah. no sacrifice to make. So it's to leave the, the things that we hold very dearly to do something that is new and in helping communities, in helping society, in helping the country, our own personal successes come as a result of that. I always say to people, success is like a shadow. You chase it, you can't catch it. You walk away, it follows you. You just have to do what you have to do all the time. And it's right beside you all the time. Sure. Um, I mean, this is this is also where I'm... I'm, I'm probably bringing her into this conversation without her permission, but this is where LeBang would be saying amen. I mean, you know, <laughs> what, you, what, you, what you're indicating here, though, Muzi, is a very difficult thing because people don't like to give up on the things they know, and especially when it comes to culture and history and politics. People love holding on to that stuff, and you see it all over the world. Long after an idea has died, there are still those who keep those fires burning. Um, and it's important sometimes for people to feel either like they're oppressed or that they're the oppressor. Um, some people never let go of that stuff. And if we're to move ahead, if I understand you correctly, we need to start thinking about ourselves very differently. Um, I, I, I love this country, but we, we've got a long way to go before we get to where you are. But you know what you see currently is a lot of people think that the voting majority don't know how to vote for anybody but the ANC. But when you look at the fact that we have got a declining number of people showing up to vote, then you know that it's, their problem is not not knowing how to vote for the ANC. It is also not knowing who else to vote for. Right. You know, so they, they would rather stay home then mm -hmm. show up and vote for what's there. And th that's where the, the paradigm is, right? So when Wizzy talks about we need to do new things, it's also because people are going, if I'm not going to vote for the ANC, I'm not going to vote for an EFF that is an ANC light, or I'm not going to vote for an IFP that is a very parochial small party all the way over there, or I'm not going to vote for a DA that has positioned itself as anti-ANC. So I'd rather just not vote. No. So there's a, a lot of work that we all have to do in, in society that then says, how do we bring about an alternative that answers the questions that the voting electorate needs? Okay, but then... Me, I, I think more than voting, we need to build a society. You know, yeah. uh, we need to build 
but people, we had, I mean, during AIDS, a lot of adults died, and about a third of our population, 10%, was really gone. We, we have to rebuild society. Little things such as manners, uh, understanding and respecting others, how we talk to each other, what responsibility means, what humility means, which is difficult in the era of the selfie. <laughs> yeah. But if you look at, at how the British did it, it was, I mean, it was the most brutal thing. So when the Romans, I mean, Rome kind of collapsed. So the province that was Great Britain, that was Britain at the time, was now difficult to hold. You know, the, the Germans were fighting. And then the elites was, I mean, the structure of Britain is pretty much based on the Roman structure. You know, the, the lords, the guys who hold the land, you know, the, right. the, the Caesar, the guys who hold the land, and then they had the slaves. And then the, you know, the commoners as well. So when Rome is suddenly, so in that period, there are guys, some British guys were now, you know, they were wearing togas, they were like the Romans. The British, when they were liberating Britain, they killed those guys off. Found you in the in the in the in the, in the baths because the Romans had the Roman baths. They killed everybody there. It was the most brutal way of dealing with it. But we have to find, firstly, because we live in a peaceful world, and as South Africa, we, not, we, we live in a in a civilized world. In South Africa, we it's not our DNA. Our DNA is peace. Mm. You know, uh, we we are at our best when we are kinder to one another. Sure, and we have to rebuild that. Um, build society, give people opportunity. Because if people have got opportunity, they, then able, they are then able to share. So one of the ways that empires have fallen and crumbled, Gareth and Pumi, is when they exclude certain members of their own society. And when that happens, opportunity diminishes. And when opportunity diminishes, the, the best people leave. So, um, the most important thing is to bring people, is to give people their dignity. As down in KZN, where you still see people, um, have to go and fetch water 1,6 kilometers away. Yeah. That's, that's creating a systemic disadvantage. And who do you blame for that? You can go on and go on in history. But what would you say? This one did that, that one. But the people who are in charge, now I read a lovely book many years ago when I was a youngster called The Africans. And one of the leaders in Africa, they were talking about how things are changing. He said, well, we've been elected to change things. We cannot complain about colonialism because we've been given the explicit task of changing things. And if we fail to change things, then we've failed at our duty. Right. And this thing needs the best brains, and which is why I would call on younger people. I mean, Cliff Central is, is a very successful station now, but it started with you saying, I'm leaving this big station that are offering me opportunity and all the great and many endorsements. So whether you're a chartered accountant, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, you've got to think of Hard, what what is it that I must sacrifice that is important to me? That will make the country a better person and me a better person and, in the long run. And Muzi, I love that because this is going to address the question I was going to interrupt and raise just now about unemployment. Because we're never going to create jobs for this 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 country's vast majority of people who sit 
with no opportunities unless we take chances. And in order to take chances, it means getting out of your comfort zone. And for many people, that's just not on the, on the cards. People are not willing to sacrifice anything because they go, well, I can just keep doing this forever. What they don't realize is that you can't keep doing anything forever. Sometimes things just die under you if you think you can keep riding them. You know, you take the horse as far as it can go. But even if you've still got lots of energy and the horse is dead, you're going to stop wherever the horse dies. I'm concerned with what you've just raised now that we've got all these people who haven't got meaningful, gainful purpose or employment. They wake up in the mornings and there's nothing for them to do. They can go and look. They can go and seek. They can ask until they're blue in the face, and many of them do. I get emails, I'm sure you do every day, from young people in this country who are looking for a place to make a difference. And there's just not enough opportunity. But that's also because in South Africa we expect someone else to do the work for us. There are opportunities here. And I said to Pumi, Earlier, having just been to Mexico and having thought about these very rule-based, rigid societies like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, you know, places where people want to live according to many, many rules. They have bureaucracies that are on full employment, busy making new rules and bylaws every other day. In a country like ours, where mostly it's a bit like the Wild West, that presents a huge opportunity for people to go and exploit gaps in the market, find things that aren't being mined at the moment. And I don't mean mining as in you know, digging things out of the ground, but exploit opportunities that are there for us to take. And, and people just need to be brave enough to take a chance. Do you think that's possible? Do you think that we can solve our problems by doing that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you say you've been to Mexico, and I've, I've been to Mexico, and because I stopped walking, I found myself in, myself in places where later on people told me that, did you really go there? You know, when I got to the airport, I have to say, Gareth, I'm always suspected of being a drug dealer. <laughs> so I went to, I went to Mexico and got, I was detained. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I must say this, I was flying from, I flew from, I flew in from London. So, Get off the plane. I said, let me go to the bathroom. Someone says, nah, man, I'm not going to the bathroom. No, I'll just go through the bathroom. I'll go through the gates and then I'll go to the bathroom. And I got detained at the gates. Mm-hmm. So there I was sitting now. Well, there's no bathroom. There's nothing else to do. And I was made to write my name and address five times. <laughs> but that happens. It's happened to me in many countries. So it doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, and then I went to some, but, and I saw these two guys. I mean, Mexico's got a problem with uh, kidnappings and, and yes. that stuff. Well, I saw these two guys. I said, hey, these guys, they look a little dodgy, you know, the way they're looking around. And I said, hey, but they're going to struggle with this Oregon. <laughs> and then we do the much more. And, I, and then we drove to, to various parts of Mexico because we were working on a project. And found some, and on the way we drove on the, on the road, um, uh, deserted factories, cocaine factories, hmm. aeroplanes that had been, that, that had been mothballed and dogs around them and the kind of thing. It was a terrible thing. And I fear at times that our country will go that way when people don't have opportunity. You know, the Mexicans have a saying. Um, the, the, I, I asked the, 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 my host there, I said, why is Mexico so poor? I mean, in relation to America on the other side, and right. part, lots of, of parts of, of, of Mexico actually look like, like California. It looks like an extension of California. And he quoted, uh, he told me a quote from one of the old Mexican presidents. He said, the problem with Mexico, I mean, you remember in Mexico, there are churches everywhere, mm. you know, shrines, somewhere you can 
even during lunch hour, you can go on your knees and pray or something like that, everywhere. And I said, the problem with Mexico is that it's too far from God and too close to America. <laughs> and our problem here in South Africa is that we are too, I think, we are too close to God, to, to the politicians that are too far from God. We think everything will come from our politicians, everything will, from the, will mm -hmm. come from the government. Mm -hmm. Actually, it won't, you know? So we, young people who are chartered accountants today, who are engineers, who are teachers, who are everything that makes South African life, must now think about being the policymakers, yeah. about being the politicians. Because if you really think about it, who's the next? President Mbalula? Mm -mm. Are you going to have President Masina? <laughs> Is that what we're looking for? <laughs> well, that's put the fear of God into some people. Here's a, here's a quote from, from Corona's Boring, who's paraphrasing, but he's, he's saying exactly what you're saying here, Muzi. South Africans, the average attitude in South Africa is ask not what we can do for our country, but what our country can do for us, which is the opposite of what Kennedy said, right? Mm. Mm. You know, and Kennedy is also from that great generation of, of, of Tom Bracco, you know, of he'd been influenced by the Second World War, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so they had humility and they believed in what can we do. You know, they, that's why we had some of the greatest teachers. Education blossomed in that, in that era. And, and what we are looking at, what is the government? They haven't given us this. They haven't given us houses. They haven't mm -hmm. given us anything. So, but they've set up the rules and the laws of the country that make it so difficult for anybody to do anything. So which leaves us with only one opportunity to be the lawmakers, to get up there and make the right policies, scrap all the nonsense that is holding back our country and holding back the future of young people. You know, if you look at something, and I'm a, I'm a beneficiary, I guess, of, of black economic empowerment and the beneficiary of, 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 of affirmative action before that. And I'm really appreciative of it. But like you, make it, you made an example with the horse. The horse can't run for a hundred years. After a while it's gonna die in order to get another horse. The BE horse has been great for a lot of politicians. Affirmative action has been great for people like me, but that horse can't run anymore. Mm. We've got to find a new horse for us to continue. But there's a level of one of the things that sacrifice takes is it also takes a level of being brave, which is something a lot of people lack. You need to be brave and confident. So when you have the opportunity to be brave and make the right decisions or make the difficult decisions, you know, it's something, and, and that's not going to come from the politicians, and it's not going to come from outside of us. Each one of us has to find it within ourselves to be brave enough to go against the grain. You know, to be brave enough, Gareth, to walk away from a big, established SAPC station and start something new and try something new. To be brave enough when you are given an opportunity uh, because of affirmative action or because of BEE to keep the door open and bring in more people rather than be afraid to say, if, if, I, if I don't hold everything for myself, it's mm. all going to end and that you've got to open it up. We've got to open ourselves up <clears throat> in our hearts, I suppose. 
but it's about being brave as well, being brave enough to do something different. You, you know, I think bravery is, there's a very fine line between bravery and madness. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Some people will just walk on the fire and be like, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. And I think circumstances push you. You need that little push. Um, and you've got to find that. I always remember an incident. I went to university with the North of Tiflo. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to use the K word, but that's what the police used. Oh, my God. And this, we're this beating is, up this guy. This will, this is good. This will get it. This will get <laughs> it. If, if we've ever had anything on the anything on the burning platform that will get us fired, it's what Muzi's going to do now. Go ahead. <laughs> this guy gets beaten up at Tiflo at the University of the North. It was a state of emergency. The soldiers and the police took over the campus. Mm. And they were searching room to room. So they beat him up. And then he, eventually... He goes like, oh, he uses the F word. You don't know, fuck no, man. You know, fuck you. And they keep beating him. And then the one cop says, the governor's no what? Come and slow If he had not been brave enough to say, okay, do whatever you want to do, they could have killed him in what they, were, they saw as play. Hmm. So at some stage, we've got to be, we are in a situation where we are actually going to die as a country. I keep reminding people, Gareth, that Iran, Persia, and Somalia invented the post office. Probably the greatest communication line that changed society forever. But look at where they are today. Somalians are everywhere around the world trying to make a living. Doing well, some doing very badly, and being attacked everywhere around the world. Unfortunately, South Africa is now at that point, not at Somalia's level, but we have got our toes dipping in that pond of poverty. Mm -hmm. We've got lots of young people living in the country, black and white, Matladin Dovu, who uh, managed the COVID response between the EU and Belgium, is a South African. Yeah. She loves her country, would love to see her mom every day, or at least every week. But she's had to leave the country that she loves because it cannot give her opportunity. We must stop that. And the only way that we can stop that is for the guys who have done very well, who are very successful, to make sacrifices. It will be hard, but that's what sacrifice is about. But the reward will be great. Yeah, you know, um, sacrifice is, is an interesting. I, I love, by the way, I love having Muzi on because we don't we don't just talk about specifics and and you know moan about this character or that character. We talk a, a bit more philosophically about what we can do, and and this is real stuff. People can, in small ways and big ways, make sacrifices. But the interesting thing about sacrifice is it's it's obviously there are religious overtones and connotations to it, which some people like and some people don't. But it it is a basic. It's a, it's a conclusion that we can make from all the greatest achievements of humanity that unless you are prepared to forego enjoyment, satisfaction, pleasure, uh, happiness, comfort for the moment, unless you're prepared to, to put that on hold and invest it in the future, there is no future for you. Uh, and and that's, that's the lesson of sacrifice, right, is that – is that tomorrow must be better than today, but in order to make tomorrow better than today, you have to be willing to forego some of those things today. 
Well, Gareth, you know the English language is steeped in Latin, and Latin is is got the the the, the Roman Catholic Christianity. Mm-hmm. So English, by its very nature, is based on Christianity. Words like justice, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't you run away from that. Justus, you know? yeah. Mission, mission. <laughs> it's it's English. It's 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 very it's steeped on that. So if, if for people who don't like, I've got a friend who always says that. Who says, Why do you have to talk about religion? It's English. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's a Latin language. You know? Right. <laughs> so so um, and because the Romans conquered them, you know. So but but the thing is. You have to give up something. Let's call it an investment. Right. You've got to forgo the pleasures of now and today for greater profits later on, or even a profit. You might lose it. Right. You know? But that's what it's about. It's about what is it that is very important to me that I hold dear, that I may need to give up. You know, like I always say, the chickens sacrifice their lives every day to keep us alive. <laughs> Uh, we eat them and <laughs> eggs and everything. That's just how it goes. You know, you've got to give up something. They don't re- get any reward because they're in the lower uh, part of the food chain. But we've got to give up things we love for the greater good. And it's the greater good that makes the species alive, even in evolution. Um, some of the things that we do are good, are pleasurable, and others are unpleasurable. You know, so I saw a comment earlier. One of the people said, is it fair to put an extra burden or extra load on doctors, engineers, and all that kind of stuff when politicians should actually do their job and we should get better at choosing the politicians? One of the things I say on the show all the time is you don't have to, you know, what sacrifice means or what what the investment was is talking about doesn't mean you have to add to what you currently have. Maybe it's taking a five-year sabbatical to get into a position in a, in, in a government department. Maybe it is to be part of a new and growing organization and bring your skill into that organization. You may not earn what you earn in your current high-flying engineer job, mm-hmm. but you are able to create and build something better than what we have. Maybe it's volunteering your time at an organization over the weekend or two hours a day, but using the skill that you already have in the places that are needed. Musi was talking about the thing in in KZN with the water. Mm. Maybe you are, you know, water engineer and you can sacrifice three hours of your time to donate to an NGO that is doing something in that water sphere that needs that kind of expertise. Now that you, you know that you have to think and be creative to find the solutions because the solutions are not coming from the politicians that we have right now. Maybe we need a president who's an engineer. <laughs> True. True. Jimmy, maybe we need an, an, a president who's an accountant. Jimmy Carter was an engineer, and what the difference between and America? Shogun Reagan was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the second, the second. yeah. You know, your career, right? The, but, is a the, the, the difference in, in Ukraine when they had the, the explosion of uh, in, of the nuclear in many years ago. Chernobyl, yeah. Chernobyl, which is in Ukraine, that's right, and. 
And in America, they had a similar accident. Three but mile because Jimmy Carter was an engineer, he knew which questions to ask as things were going wrong. Okay, have you done this? Have you taken care of this? You've taken care of that. Politics is not the preserve of the imbeciles. <laughs> we need better people to run the country. Uh, we need to yeah, do it for yeah. 10 years. You don't have to be a lifer. You do it for 10 years. <laughs> you go back to your career, you'll be a better person. You would have set up the policies. Um, Ernest Oppenheimer was a politician at some stage. So, um, representing Kimberley. And MP. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's We've got to get the best people, the best minds, solving the problems for us to get better solutions. I can't see Watabile. She has not. I mean, she messed up Sasa. Mm. Uh, I can't see her. And one day she may become president the way things work at the ANC. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, this is the this is the question. This is the question. And and I think most of us know that we want something better, right? And and this is what's kind of kept us together through the 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 last couple of years where we've seen everything falling apart around us. Um is that we we do know that we want our kids to grow up better than us. We do know that we want the country to start developing and catching up and making more opportunities for our own citizens. And we also know that we've got real-world challenges. And sometimes people just look at this and go, it's too big for me to handle. Yeah, yeah, that's true, Gareth. But you know what? The butterfly that flaps yeah. its wings that's in right. Chaos theory, yeah. leads to a hurricane mm. in, 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 on the other side of the world. It's ordinary people who do great things. Um, and, and they try them. And they fail. And they make mistakes. But that's what human being human is about. You know, um, I, I, I love how the dog world has progressed in society from living on its off chain and barking and running around to living in the lounge and being fed some of the best food. <laughs> so uh, it's life is like that. There is progress. Yeah. So we've got to, it, it's the hardships that, we, that, that make us human. And that's the difference between us and the dog life. Um, so, so people must, I mean, we're going towards, I know, we're going towards Easter, which is basically about liberation to a large extent, leaving Egypt, leaving your own Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's greatness. Um, so, so that's where we, that, that, these things that, you know, as I love the way Churchill talks about King Arthur. So for, for, I always thought there was, I had a friend from Germany whose name was Arthur. So I thought Arthur was a real, was a real person. had been a real king. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's what I read. I mean, I'm not English and I did everything in Bandu education. We never learned about King Arthur and those guys. <laughs> and he says, the legend of King Arthur never really happened, but it gives us hope. You know, I'm going to, you know, you, you, whatever you think of, 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 of Easter, but it's the, 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 the hope that you can walk through water, that the water will split, the oceans will split, if need be, for you to walk across. So whatever difficulty there is, I mean, I remember when media planners were, used to tell, were telling me that, no, podcasts will never take off. We don't have bandwidth in this country. You know what? Data is too expensive. Data is too expensive. Things split in half. Podcasts are everywhere for people to walk on dry land. That's what these great myths are about. That they will be all the forces against you. 
But data will split in half. Somebody will sell it for half the price. And you'll be able to reach people. It's really that, you know. So that's what it is. Yeah, you know, um, I've, I've got to refer to something completely ridiculous here that uh, someone brought up, but it's something that you'll enjoy, uh, Muzi. Uh, Sanele says, ha, ha, ha. I always said Muzi looks like King Dalindiebo. That's why they keep arresting him at airports. That's why they keep asking him if he's got, <laughs> if he's got drugs on him. The, because they know, uh, about, they know about King Dalindiebo and the, the problems he'd had with drugs. <laughs> so I'm going to throw that in just to make you laugh. Uh, uh, no. I we we had great respect for his father, um, and you know you know this thing of xenophobia, Gareth. Yeah, I was I grew up in Springs, so I hate xenophobia, and for many reasons. And one of them is that it starts by saying illegal foreigners, mm. and then very quickly it disintegrates to neighbors. Right. So um, in the seventies, because of the forced removals, we had to. I mean, they moved, literally, they were looking for closer people and moving them out of Painville. And when we grew up, we used to sing a song, which I still, I still, it's in my mind because we sang it right up until high school, which used to say, Gulu Sizi, Gulu Sizi, Guma Tosa, Uyawabi Zuma And then we'd invoke, we'd cry and say, Wema Sabata, Wema Sabata. Oh, yeah. So we ask Dalinjebo's mom to intervene because they're rounding up all the Kosa people. I lost two friends. Koikoi, Smongele, those are the two I remember. And, and something, so, and they were all, they kind of, they were taken away. They moved to a place that they'd never known. Some of their parents never knew. And, you know, very sadly, oh, I don't know, there's a guy, there were two guys that I went to varsity with. Um, and then the one I was telling a story about drinking horse urine, because we guys just believe that horse urine makes you strong. <laughs> so I'm telling the story of a guy who, you know, and when horses were urinating, it's just like, it's, it's gushing. Wow. Yeah. And this guy went underneath the horse and drank the urine as it was coming off the horse. So I'm telling the story, and Simon turns around and says, You're lying. I'm like, why would I lie about this? He says, where were you when that happened? I said, I was there. I was in the cart. He says, because I was there too. So I meet this guy. I meet this guy, 18 years later, and then we find out. I find out that his mom and my mom were great friends. They grew up together. Oh yeah. First removers did that. They split people apart, very, very in a terrible way. And those kinds of things. That's what xenophobia does. So it's not, xenophobia is very, it's, it's, it's like touching a raw heart for me that's still beating, you know. And I think it's got to be stopped because also imagine when other countries decide that they are having sanctions against South Africa. Right. There will be no trade. This 74% unemployed youth will quickly go to 100%. But unfortunately, our leadership is so limited in vision and thinking they cannot see the damage that they are causing through their silence and sometimes tacit and overt support of this nonsense. Well, Muzi, I'm glad you brought up this xenophobia thing because it's such an issue at the moment. And there's all this talk about Nflantla Lux and Operation Dudula. And we, we've seen politicians behaving really irresponsibly when it comes to 
xenophobia. I mean, you have any other just kind of parting shot because we've got literally two, three minutes left of this of, of, of our place, our place in Africa, because we, you know, <laughs> it always starts at home. So it's your own house, your own neighborhood, your own municipality, your own province, your own nation, and then the continent that you're a part of before you start thinking about Ukraine and Russia. What do you, what do you think of the well, situation at the moment in South Africa with regard a to A lot this? of countries in Africa, a lot of people are disappointed. Yeah. Because they were hoping that post, all the, polo, the post-colonial poverty and despotism had come to an end, that we were the actual star that was blossoming, uh, that was going to grow and create positivity throughout the con- continent. And President Tabumbeki started with African Renaissance, isn't it? Right. And you know, Gareth, I, I, I got something very interesting. You remember, you might remember that Mandela wanted to appoint Cyril Ramaphosa to be his, his deputy. That's right. Apparently the person who spoke Mandela out of it, talked Mandela out of it, was Julius Nyerere. He said, you don't know this guy, one. And number two, uh, we, don't, we, we know we've trained Tabumbegi on Pan-Africanism, that is going to help the continent come back. You know, when I think about that now, I think Nyerere came to our great help. Because can you imagine how terrible things would have been? For, you know, um, just four years left, five years. We would have had just, I mean, we've had 12, we've had 15 years of gross incompetence, yeah. but it would have started a lot earlier. And we cannot afford that for that to happen and to continue when we've got all these bright people in this country who should be actually on the queue. I mean, when, when, when Nelson Mandela died, everybody remembered, all the international news remembered that Cyril Ramaphosa boycotted Mandela's inauguration because he was not appointed. Being a baby like that, yeah. and you think the baby's going to run the country? That's, a, that's, that's an interesting page out of the history book that nobody really refers to anymore. Hmm. Well, the BBC did, and so did the New York Times, and everybody else around the world. <laughs> say, this guy, <laughs> that's the kind of guy you've got. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? listen, uh, thank you, Muzi. It's always great to have you on the show. I see lots of comments from people saying uh, you're so inspiring. Thank you for that. This is, this is the kind of stuff we need to hear. And I'm glad that we had a, a different kind of burning platform today, not just talking about specific news stories and you know giving an opinion on them, but having a much better and bigger and more introspective look at ourselves. Thank you, guys. Me, thank you. Before you go, this is your opportunity for your ad break. Tell people who you are on the social media so they yes, can please. see more of you, hear more of you, read more yes. of you, and he's, where to find you. He's not, he's not King Dalindiebo, so just everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, my, I, I think a lot of people, when they try to find me, is they, they spell my Kuzwe with an H. Right. And mine is KU without an H. K-U-Z-W-A-Y-O. Um, and... Um, well, I'm on Facebook and on all the social media, and probably and, not as at SouthAfricasPromise.org.za. That's right, SouthAfricasPromise.org.za, and um, because I I do believe that we will, this generation will and should deliver the South Africa's South Africa's constitution. Love it. Thank you, Muzi. Thank you so much. And Pums, we will see you next uh, Thursday for some more. Very good. Thank you, everybody. We will catch you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. bright and early. Have a great Thursday. Cheers.